Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword and able to just penetrate our lives and our hearts. And so I just pray that as we talk, uh, it wouldn't be words or jokes or stories, but it would really just be your word that we would walk out of this room with. I pray that as we consider Graduate Sunday and what that means, that these graduates would have your word hidden deep in their hearts. And so we just pray and ask that in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen. So I was thinking about Graduate Sunday, and I guess the tradition is the youth guy gets up and talks, so here I am. Um, It's interesting because our graduates are going to hear an awful lot of talks in the next month, right? So they're going to hear valedictorians, they're going to hear speeches, they're going to hear all this. And so the question is, you know, what do you really tell them? On top of that, if I'm honest with you, Graduate Weekend was the worst weekend of my life. Literally, like when I think of graduate weekend and some of you are going, oh, like, you know, did his friend get in a wreck? No, nothing like that. So what happened? I went to a military school down in Harlingen, Texas. If you've ever flown to Padre Island, when you land in the airport, there's this big Iwo Jima and like that was my school. And and I went there not because I was a bad kid, but because they had a flight school and because it was a Naval Academy prep school and they could give you an appointment to Annapolis. And so I went there with, you know, big dreams and big hopes. And about my senior year, General Al Smith came to be the commandant of our school. Now, this was a very strict school. We were up, we were studying, all that. But General Smith brought a level of absolute control that none of us had experienced. And one of the things he did, I think I have a picture of it. When he came in, he had a big ceremony. He brought with him a landing vehicle track called an LVT. I think I have a picture of it. So this is last year we went there. And you can just leave that picture up while I talk. It'll work. So um, we decided that General Smith, because he was such a strict man, he needed to experience some of the humor and some of the liveliness of the upperclassmen. And so four of us sworn to secrecy because, and I'll just coach you here, if you're going to do a prank, you got to get the right people and you got to swear yourselves to secrecy. So we ordered for the next couple months, and this was a big deal because this was pre-Amazon, and we're on a base where we only go, only go out for liberty on the weekends, but we got 20 gallons of bright pink paint. Yeah, some of you know where we're going with this. Now, I have to remind you, this was an LVT from World War II that he had actually served with, and so it meant a lot to him, more than we were aware. And so uh, we gathered our materials. We, got, we even got like these like sprayer things you could buy at Home Depot, and we're hiding this all around the base. And so finally, our big night came, and we'd been studying you know, the, the, the officers, you know how they did their patrols around our campus, and we knew when our, when our window was. And so we came out, and we painted this bad boy bright pink. And I've never been so proud of a paint job in my life. Like it, I mean, it was like pitch black, dark, but that thing glowed. I mean, it just screamed out. And so the four of us, you know, we, we got rid of our materials, snuck off base to do that. And then um, we went back to bed and life was good. Till about four in the morning. And, and instead of the normal Reveille trumpet sound, we had this voice saying, get your blanks out of the barracks and out onto the street. And so we all head out and there's General Smith and he is lit up. He's angry. And basically his threat was, you will tell me who painted my LVT pink or you will have no liberty and there will be punishments until God returns. Which Gary said may be in this lifetime, but you know, for us, that seemed like a long time. And so we began doing a series of sit-ups. Now the four of us are sworn to secrecy. And, and just to kind of speed up the story, this went on for about two months. 
For two months, we had no liberty. My brother's wedding was coming up. I almost missed it. And he would just do, you know, PT at odd times. And he'd just kind of come in and he'd, he'd lean on people. But we got away with it. So it was about uh, March when it happened. We got away with it. So you fast forward to graduation. Now, we're in a military school, and so everything's about the military. Um, but we did have an award ceremony the day before graduation. My parents were in town. And so I'll never forget, you know, you have all the teachers up here doing the academic awards and the sports awards. And then General Al Smith walks up. And I'm like, this is different. And he says, you know, I'm not even going to try to imitate him because the guy, the guy was a legend, you know. So he comes up and says, normally at a military school, we don't promote the arts, which was true. We didn't have drama or glee club or anything. (laughs) Yeah. So I should have been awake. I'm still like, oh, I guess we got like some artsy people on campus. That's cool. He says, but in recognition, we have four students who have shown themselves to be incredibly adept at art. And when he said the word four... And we're sitting at different places in the room, staring straight forward. And when he said four, like, it was all of a sudden like, this man's like, knows what's going on. And I'll never forget the way he did it. It was pretty manly. And he said, I want to see if you guys are men enough to come up and confess to your crimes. Now, normally we would have had a few days to like think about it and kind of meet in the barracks and go, do we do it? But there's four guys sitting around an auditorium like this going, what do we do? And, and I wasn't following Jesus at the time, but I think the Holy Spirit kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, you are going to be a man today. And so next thing I know, I'm up and walking down the aisle, and it was horrible. Come to find out, there's three other guys walking down the aisle. And I'll never forget as I'm walking down the aisle, all I could think in contrast to the verse we're going to look at today is there's no hope and there's no future. Because this was the kind of school the night before graduation, they would just yank it away. They didn't care. And I had my appointment and everything was like lined up good. And I'm thinking, it's all gone. And so I'll never forget, we come walking up the stairs onto a stage like this. And there he is. And he ain't smiling. Not that the man ever smiled, but he's not smiling at this point. So arms are crossed and we stand. And and, and it must have been literally a minute of silence. So the whole school's watching and we're standing there. And I'm thinking, like, this man's a genius and he won. Because he's going to boot us the night before graduation. Every student in the assembly is going to learn, don't mess with General Al Smith. But he turns around and he kind of goes back to this table. And someone had made for him, I'm quite sure he didn't do it, four paintbrushes coated in pink paint. And he came out and says, gentlemen, you saw how angry I was. But in recognition of your pure insanity and bravery, I present you with these awards tonight. And like, he smiled. He didn't laugh. He didn't say good job. He smiled. And so uh, obviously the pink paint eventually came off. This is this past year. I went with my wife. I'm trying to imitate a paintbrush, you know, going on it. But um, literally, like for that, for that like five-minute window, I thought I was dead. So it's ironic that I would be here talking to graduates about graduate Sunday, indeed. Well, the passage we want to look at today, I was kind of doing some research and Googling, and and I found out there's one verse used more than any verse at graduation. Anybody want to take a guess on what it is? Wait, what's that? Jeremiah 29, 11, I heard it. Yeah, so if you have a Bible, turn there. Some of you know it by heart. I'm going to see if I can know it by heart. But, but God, he's talking to the people of Israel, the exiles, and he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
Now, this is a beautiful verse. Before we dive in too deep, I want to ask the question, is this a verse that we as modern Christians can claim? And some of us are like, well, of course we can. It's on my coffee cup. It better be, okay? But, but again, let's be careful because often when we go into the Old Testament or even parts of the New Testament, we are kind of reading other people's mail. In fact, did you know that if you fast forward 11 verses down, here's the verse I could be teaching on for Graduate Sunday had we decided to claim it. Jeremiah 29, 22, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. (laughs) That would be a sermon, right? I'd be like, graduates, I'm praying that for your life, you'll get roasted in the fire like these kings. Well, the truth is, and we're going to use scripture in a few minutes. I believe Jeremiah 29, 11 is definitely a verse that we can talk about. And the reason I do is we see all over Scripture concepts of God's plans for his people. We see the idea that God desires to prosper. And we're going to talk about that one. That may trigger some emotions in some of you. Uh, The idea that God doesn't want to harm and that God has a hope and a future. Now, as I say that, I want to be careful. We're talking about basically plans and foundations. And I want to say I don't want to just talk to graduates. Now, graduates are at a point in life where really a foundation has been laid. They've been in school for 13 long, agonizing, insurmountable years, and now they're about done. And so now kind of the foundation's been laid, the plans begin. Some of us, graduation was how long ago? Yeah, a long time ago. Don't, don't, I was going to have you like raise your hand and give me numbers, but that might embarrass some people and we, we could calculate your age. So I want us to think, though, as a congregation, what does it mean to walk in the plans of God? I came up with the title of Plans and Foundations. I'd like to switch my title to what Clay said in his communion devotion about focusing on God. And so I want us to think. Now, the first passage we see, there's five things. We see there's plans. We see this idea of prospering, we see not harming, and we see hope in a future. So I'd like to talk about these five things. Now, the first one is plans. So I want you to think about this. The verse is going to pop up here in a minute. I want to ask a question. Put on your thinking caps. Whose plans are they? For I know the plans that I have for you. Whose plans are they? They're God's plans. Now, here's the second thing, and this is where it gets a little bit humbling as well. Who knows the plans? Like, I I could deliver the best sermon in human history if I could look around this room and individually say, let me share with you, Brighton, exactly what God's plan is for you. Like, that would make me a prophet, and if it didn't come true, you'd have to take me out and stone me, according to the Old Testament. But it would be a very popular sermon. But I want us to remember as we look at plans that they're God's plans, and he knows them. And as we say that, I don't mean to disparage. I mean, some of you seniors right now, you have plans. And here's the deal. Are plans a good thing? Yeah. Scripture says, commit your plans to the Lord. There's an assumption that says you will have plans. You don't just live life willy-nilly. You don't just kind of run out and say, yeah, we'll see what happens next year. You seniors know better than that, right? You've had to take SATs. You've had to complete applications. There's a thing called FAFSA. And so you know that plans are required. But what we want to look at is the idea that we submit our plans to God. And I want us to think as an older generation, as maybe some of the older people in the room, we may have plans even still that we're clinging to. We might have that plan that said, you know, when I was 21, when I was 28, when I was 38, I said I would do this. And some of us have learned by God's grace that he's adjusted those plans. 
I don't believe plans are wasted. I believe God uses them. I believe some of us set off this way, and God said, let me redirect you this way, but he used what we learned over here to kind of help us. The other thing I believe about plans is plans have a foundation. So in other words, when you build a house, there's a lot of materials, there's a lot of designs. Just drive around neighborhoods, and you'll see the different plans and designs. But, but if, if we boil it down, foundations are very similar. You have footings. You have rebar, you have concrete, you dig into the ground. Now, you can either do a post and beam or you can do a slab, but in general, foundations are very similar. And I want to propose for all of us in the room, we have one foundation. What is it? Yeah. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, talking about foundation, says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And so this idea, we think about following plans, following blueprints, and Paul says, I've laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with what? Care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is, say it together, Jesus Christ. And so we learn that as we build on a foundation, the foundation is Jesus Christ. How we build on it is going to look radically different in this room. Some of us are going to have certain careers. Some of us will have families. Some of us will do certain things in ministry. Some of us will do certain things in our neighborhoods and in our community. But the foundation, if it's Jesus Christ, will be the same. Now, while I say there's one foundation that should be built on, the reality is, are there other foundations we can build on? Okay, we're going to do this together, and if you do well, I won't make you stand up. Matthew 7, Jesus tells a parable. Anybody know what it is? All right, let's do it. Get your hands out. Come on. If Miss Margaret was here, I'd have her do it, right? So we got the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And then it says, and the rains came down. Some of you really want to sing this at this point. Maybe we'll do it next service. I was always told the first service is a little more mellow, so I'm not sure. Anyways, so, so here's the deal. is Jesus says the storms will come. I would be naive and I would be false, and those of us in the room with any age or experience would boo me if I said, hey, just build on the foundation of Jesus and everything's going to turn out great. Ultimately, it will, but the storms will come. And Jesus says, and the house on the rock stood what? Firm. Contrast that with the foolish man. Foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Storms come down, same situations. And what happens to the house? It falls with a crash. Now, we read that and it's easy to say, well, you got to build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 3 if you went to a Baptist Sunday school like I did. But, but I want us to be careful because some of us, when we think of the notion, we think if I put the right bumper sticker or the right t-shirt, or maybe it's like the moon landing. If I just plant my flag of my life on Jesus, I've built on the right foundation. Sounds good, doesn't it? Jesus defines in Matthew 7 what it means to build on the right foundation. What does he say? Those who hear these words of mine and what? Put them into action. So God gives us a blueprint for his plans. Anybody ever read it? And our job is to follow it. If we want to build the founda- on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we hear and we obey. So it's not just the foundation we build on, but it's how we build. It's how we follow the plans. And so if we're wise, we will cooperate with the plans of God. 
Proverbs puts it this way. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. I'd love to say that if we interviewed our seniors right now, there's a lot of plans going around. And I've heard some of them, some of them, man, they're so specific. Like, I'm going to be a neurologist. And I'm like, whoa. And then you're like, what does that mean? You know, just to see if they know what it means. And they're like, well, I'm going to go to this, and then I'm going to go to this med school, and then I'm going to do this. And you're like, whoo, kid's got a plan. Other people have got plans kind of like, well, I'm going to be an artist. So I'm going to kind of go down this way, and then I'll get my master's in art, and then I'll work in a museum. And so, again, this idea of many are the plans in the mind. It says, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That's good news. That's not a a mean God saying, hey, you come up with a plan and I'm going to smash it. That's a good God that says, you come up with a plan, you submit to me, you build on the Lord Jesus Christ, and together my purpose for you will stand. James puts it this way. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? I'm not sure I should read this on Graduate Sunday, but I'm going to say it anyways. For you are a mist that appears for a lifetime, little time and then vanishes. Now, those of us with more years in life are like, yeah, I kind of get the mist concept. Those of you that might be 20, I remember at 20, I thought, God, I hope I die before I'm 40. Because I've seen 40-year-olds, and like they don't have a life. All they do is be married and take care of kids and drive minivans. And so my prayer was, God, by the time I'm 40, I want to die in some catastrophic snowboarding or you know, bungee jumping accident. Uh, now that I'm almost 50, I've, I've moved that up like 20 or 30 years. And probably when I'm 80, it's going to be 100. I think at 100, I might just be like, okay, it's cool. Like, let's, let's just be done. But James goes on to say, and I want us to listen to this wise advice. Instead, you ought to say... If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so again, God has a plan. There's plans described here, but a wise man is going to say, if the Lord wills. Let me put it this way. I have a prayer in mind. It's a biblical prayer that if you pray, I can guarantee your prayers will always be answered. You ready for it? Some people just woke up at this point. That's great. Okay. Jesus in the garden about to undergo something agonizing. What does he pray? If there's any way, take this cup. But he ends it with this beautiful prayer similar to James. And what does it say? But not my will, but yours be done. And so the beautiful thing to me is we can pray for a lot of things. In fact, Scripture says when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He translates for us with groans and utterings we can't understand. So we're not going to mess up prayer. Like, keep praying. I know some of us were like, you know, I'm, I'm praying that so-and-so will, will do this and do that. And like, well, what if it's not right? Then I just wasted days and days of prayer. Here's the good news. The God of the universe, as we're praying, says, A for effort. Let my Holy Spirit kind of interpret and change it to what it should be. And so hopefully we cooperate with the plans of God. The final thing, and, and I found this happens on all of them. When we talk about plans, they are eternal. When we talk about not harming, it's an eternal perspective. When we talk about prosper, it's eternal. When we talk about hope and future, it's all eternal. And so as we talk about the plans of God, there is an eternal component. I would love to say that Jeremiah 29, 11 is a great cliche for graduation. It's going to get you into college, then grad school, and then you can take that verse and set it at the door. But I would argue this is a lifetime verse. 
And so it's not a verse just for graduates, it's a verse for all of us as we continue in this life. Psalm 139.16, when we think about uh, eternity, we think about past and future. It says, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me, listen to this, were written in your book before one of them came to be. A sovereign, all-knowing, all-loving God has the ability to actually write what's coming. And so there's plans, and there were plans before the creation of the world. Paul puts it this way, Ephesians 2.10, For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that what? We should walk in them. We should cooperate. We should go with God's plan. And then finally, when you think about plans, I think the greatest house ever built is what? Jesus says, for I go to prepare a place for you. My favorite theologian, Keith Green, put it this way. If God built this world in seven days, and we love it, it's incredible. Imagine what a house that he's been building for 2,000 years is going to look like. And so while we follow our plans, we remember there's an eternal perspective. I, I did something interesting. Now, I know that this church always has great videos. Um, I decided to challenge the notion, so I got my iPhone out, and I went around. I interviewed some staff people. And what was interesting, I thought about my own story, and if I'm honest, I never once in my life thought I would like to be a preacher or a pastor on stage. Now, I will confess to you, the closest I ever got was when I was a grown man, somehow I got in my head I had a good singing voice, not sure how, no, this is serious, and I decided I should be on a worship team. So I remember here was my strategy, and I feel so sorry for all the worship team people. I would come into church on a Sunday morning, and I would see, like we often do, some of the worship teams sitting down in chairs. And so I would strategically place myself one or two rows behind them, and this was my plan. I was going to sing con gusto, sing my heart out, all service, and they were going to turn around at the end and say, man, you got to be on the worship team. <laughs> Never happened. I, you know... <laughs> It was my dream. It was my plan. It never came to be. But isn't it interesting that God has different plans? From being a missionary to swinging a hammer to being a pastor. And so I wanted you guys to see, I went around and interviewed, I think, four people on our staff. And it amazed me that the stories, the plans of God in cooperating them often result in a similar ending. Watch this video. So when I was graduating high school... Uh, my plan was to go to UTA and study accounting, and I did that. And four years later, I graduated with an accounting degree and went to work in public accounting. And I did that for 12 or 13 years and was in the business world. And after that, God called me out of the mountains of Colorado uh, to come and be the worship and finance pastor of Grace Community Church. And I've been doing that here for 21 years. So when I graduated high school, I moved up here to Arlington because I wanted to become a mechanical engineer like my brother. He said, if you move up here, I'll get you a job. And so I moved up here, and my first week I came to Grace Community Church, and I've been here ever since. And then I continued doing stuff with the college ministry, and I switched gears and switched from mechanical engineering to computer science engineering. Ended up getting my degree in computer science, and I started working in the corporate world, especially in litigation. Did a lot of computer forensics and investigations and spent about 10 years in that world. And then along that time, I was still volunteering a lot at the church. I was still serving as a life groups person. I interned here, and, and, but I never really thinking I was gonna become a pastor someday. 
until finally God just really opened a door for me that I wasn't expecting. And Gary said, I'd like you to come join our staff here. And I left that corporate world. I've been so blessed by how God's provided for me and how he's kind of guided me from all these different places that I thought I would end up to where I am today. So when I graduated high school, and even before that, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be the first man on Mars. So I worked in aerospace every summer following high school graduation until I finished grad school. And uh, I got my degree in rocket science, aerospace engineering, got my master's degree, and started working on that, and hated it, quit my job. And that's when God said, uh, teach the Bible, tell people about Jesus. And it's kind of connected to when I got saved. And so that was in 1992. So it's been about uh, 27 years now with a short spell of teaching math. But other than that, I've been uh, trying to tell people about Jesus. Well, when I graduated high school, I was determined to be a mission pilot, to go back to Africa as quickly as possible, get out of the United States of America, get back home, and fly airplanes for the mission that I grew up in. I ended up going to work in Fort Worth for uh, an aircraft maintenance company because I needed experience, and I had to be a mechanic before I could be a pilot. So my dream was to fly, but I had to put in some years working as a mechanic before I could do that. So I worked for several years as an aircraft mechanic. Then I became a helicopter mechanic all the while still planning to go back to Africa. During those years, God redirected me, and although I spent 15 years in uh, aircraft, the aircraft industry and the helicopter industry, uh, it was at the end of that time that I was able to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to do. And he called me into ministry back in 1993, and I've been the missions pastor at Grace since then. Isn't that amazing how God works? It's just absolutely amazing. Men have plans, and God's plan wins. Now, we're going to pause right now for what I might call an intermission. That doesn't mean get up and get popcorn. But I want you to get out your phones, and we're going to do a little experiment here today. It's going to make me happy. Okay, so get out your phones. Now, one of the men we saw in the video was Larry Gallus. And it's appropriate to me that on Graduate Sunday, when I was hired, guess who was standing in the gap and covering youth? Larry Gallus, he'd been doing it for a year. In fact, if you look kind of through the history of our church with youth group, whenever there's been a need for a godly and wise man to step in, it's Larry Gallus. Well, this weekend, yeah, good job. He also leads worship. He also handles our finances, overseas finances. Well, this weekend, Larry Gallus is celebrating his 55th birthday. And so here's a slide that's going to pop up. Now, I want you just to take a minute and do this. I'm going to do it with you. Okay, the joke part of it is we're going to actually bomb his phone, but the serious part, hang on, don't just send an emoji. I'd like you to take a minute, don't send a letter, don't send an epistle, but why don't you write something to Larry that just says, man, I'm so glad God called you out of Colorado into ministry. I'm so glad you helped lead our worship in a godly and purposeful way. You guys got a minute? All right, let's do it. I'm going to do it too if I can get my reading glasses out. And then don't send, we're all going to send together. That is the funny part of my prank.
Okay, you got about 30 seconds. I know. How do you summarize 21 years of ministry in one? Oh, even my boss is texting. This is awesome. That's like, that's like having the lawyer on your side. It's divine covering. I love it. So here's my text. I'll read it to you. Happy birthday, old man. Whoops. Uh, here is my gift for you. Got a few friends to help me out. So this is going to be good. All right, everyone got something they can send? And on three, I'm going to count it down. We're going to hit send on this bad boy. My wife asked the question, what if it blows up his phone? Or it actually like, uh, he's the finance guy. He'll find money for a new phone. Here we go. Three, two, one, send. This is awesome. He's actually on vacation in his late cabin right now. So great. He thought he was on vacation. You know, and, and as I thought about it, there was a part of me that thought it was funny, but do you know that in the average church, do you know who gets the most criticism? The music guy. People have so many blasted opinions about the music, too loud, too slow, too fast, whatever. And so I, I just think it's beautiful that after 21 years of ministry, on his birthday weekend, turning 55, uh, we would say happy birthday and we, we love what you do. So we looked at the plans of God out of Jeremiah 29:11. I want us also to look at uh, the idea of prospering and not to harm. Now, when I say prosper, let's be honest, what's the word, first word you tend to think of? Money, Right? If I say prosper, we tend as American Christians to think, oh, it's going to be money. And we want to be very careful here. I'm not going to preach a sermon on it. We'll save it for Gary. But there is a theology that says if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy and wise. It's the prosperity gospel, and I'm not here to preach that. I would rather say to you that prospering... Now, can prospering by the hand of God include money? Absolutely. You look at Solomon, you look at Joseph, you look at people in the Bible that God said, I will bless you. But I love it because if you say, I will bless you, so that what? So that you will be a blessing to others. Okay? So a couple things I want to point out about this idea of prospering. The first is that it's purposeful. God doesn't just prosper a person just for fun. I want you to look in Genesis 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And so we find out if we read the entire story that Joseph prospered so that he could help save the people of Israel when the famine came. But at the same time, think about Joseph's prosperity. How did he get into the house of the Egyptian master? Sold into slavery by his brothers, right? And then as he prospers in the house, we're like, oh, great ending to the story. What's going to happen next? This slinky wife is going to come up and make accusations, and he's going to get thrown into prison, right? And so his prospering, now eventually Pharaoh's going to call him, he's going to prosper some more, but prospering is not always an easy road. In fact, I would argue if you study the lives of those who have truly prospered, it came with difficulties, and so as we think about what prospering really means, I want us to realize and to be very careful, prospering, not to harm, is, is the prospering is not just wealth. Writer of Proverbs puts it this way. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Watch this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Hey, pay attention because this is me. 
Some of us used to go through life going, you know, I realize that winning the lottery is a big issue and some people struggle with it. I would sure like to face that struggle and win. Now, here's the reality. I believe the God of the universe knows how we're made. He knows we're but dust. And he knows that for many of us, if he were to dump incredible wealth on us, we wouldn't know how to handle it. We think we would. It'd sure be fun to try. On the other hand, God looks and says, man, some of you, if you live in abject poverty, it's going to cause you like equally to become obsessed. And then I would argue that in in Christianity, and I've seen it even in members of our church, there are people that when blessed with wealth know how to walk in godly ways with it. But the idea of prospering is not just wealth. The other thing about being prosperous is it's Christ-centered. John 15, what does Jesus say? Abide in me and you will bear much fruit, a form of prosperity. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, we're going back to this foundation and what we build on and how we participate with the plan of God. Next part in the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, to prosper and not to harm. So the opposite of harm is what? It's to do good. Romans 8, 28, what does it say? All things work together for good. And so the idea of not to harm means that good's going to come. Now, let's be very careful, and I have to say this because I know people in my own life personally that have walked away from God when they thought God harmed them. In fact, I would argue it's probably one of the number one reasons that people often turn their back on God. So harm, not to harm, harm does not equal discipline. The writer of Hebrews says it's this way. Hebrews 12, 7 through 8. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his what? Children. We all love the title of being God's children. Oh, it's, it's just warm and fuzzy and it's nice. But part of being someone's child is discipline. He goes on to say this. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline. There's kind of a theme the writer of Hebrews just keeps hammering in it. What is it? You'll get discipline. But then he drives it home in case you weren't clear and says this. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. I want you to think for a minute, this discipline is godly character. It's shaping us. It's developing us. It's not just the the wrathful smack on the wrist. Although that can be part of it. I worry more in life when I get away with my sin. I know God's got a mercy, but like it, it works out better for me, and God knows how I'm wired that when I sin, there's a consequence or I get caught. I remember when I was little, my mom and a group of women would gather together, and their one prayer that they would pray every week is, Lord, if our children sin, we were all sons, we were all elders and pastors' kids, help them to get caught. That is a prayer that God honored time and time. <laughs> And time again. The other thing about not harming is not harm does not equal growth. James 1, what does it say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. And then listen to this part. This is the picture of prosperity I cling to. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Is that prosperity or what? Mature, complete, not lacking anything. And so again, you see a God who's going to prosper and he's not going to harm. The, the last part I want to look at is this idea of a hope and a future. 
And so hope, now I, I think hope is often an abused word in our culture. I meet people all the time say, hey, I hope you do good on your exam today. Really? Your hope is not going to do squat for me. You can hope till you're blue in the face, right? I mean, what should they be saying instead? I know what they mean, maybe. Actually, I don't know what they mean. I, I know on Facebook, I never did Facebook till I started working here, and then Larry Gallus, that's why I'm paying him back, said, hey, Will, you got to be on Facebook because it's a way to connect with parents. And every time someone's birthday pops up, I love this phrase, send them warm wishes. Okay, I'll send you warm wishes. That's just what you wanted for your birthday because I was going to buy you like, you know, like a nice iPhone or something, but Facebook said give you warm wishes. So instead of just hoping, what should we be doing? We should be praying. But the other thing about hope is even in our own lives as we hope, it's not hope itself, it's what we hope in. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope, great thing, in the what? The Lord. So if we hope in the Lord, if our hope is placed in the right object, the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will not run. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Okay, I'm going to rewind. Raise your hand if you're an English teacher. Did I just say that sentence right? Put your hope in the right object or is it subject? Okay, you don't know either, so just whatever. Let's all be ignorant and blissful. It's great. Uh, the final thing about hope is that it's eternal. First Peter puts it this way. This inheritance, P- Peter's talking about this inheritance we have, this hope. He says, it's kept where? In heaven. And so the hope that we're living in, the hope that we're living for, it's kept in heaven. I love a good God who says, that amazing inheritance, I'm going to keep it in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. For you who through the faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So again, there is a hope, but but God's not saying nothing will come that will try you. Nothing will come that will test you. And then the final one we read is that there's a future. Now, as we think about plans, how many of you have plans for this earth? I I do. Not a bad thing. I think we should have plans. But ultimately, I would say this idea of plans, the fulfillment of the plans is eternal. Now, don't get me wrong. People always ask me, are you in a hurry to get to heaven? And my answer is no. Now, when I was younger, I didn't want to get to heaven because I didn't know anyone in heaven. Like when you're young and no one near you has died, the idea of going to heaven, I'm like, it's going to be like that awkward party where I don't know anyone and maybe my wife's not with me and my kid. I love bringing my wife and kids to a party because then I can like huddle with them. And if it gets really stressful, I'm like, we got to go because of the kids. Of course, my kids are like, you know, 17, 18 now. So I probably think my kids are like really unruly or something. But, but, but as you grow, as you get to know people who've passed on, all of a sudden heaven, I, I've started dreaming about heaven. I have a good friend who, who died. He was a fisherman, loved fishing. And I have these dreams now about heaven. Joe, you'll love it. And what are we doing in heaven? We're fishing. I'm not saying it's biblical, but it's at least in my dreams. But, but as, as we begin to kind of set our eyes in heaven, we realize that the hope we have is eternal. Paul puts it this way. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And so ultimately, the plans we're talking about are eternal. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so again, we have this tension of going that the ultimate plan is is accomplished in heaven. But there are things that can only be done on earth. 
In heaven, you don't get to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know it. In heaven, you don't get to put your arm around someone who's grieving and share the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ. And so for me, when I say I'm not in a hurry to go to heaven, I'm saying there are some strategic, important, eternally valued things that can only be done here on earth. And so my goal is to live on earth to its fullest so that when I reach eternity, when I reach the hope I haven't laid hold of, I can grab onto it and know that I've done my best by the plans of God. And so the final thing I want us to think about, so we have Jeremiah 29, 11. How many agree this is a verse we as current Christians can cling to? Absolutely. We've had scripture that shows that God doesn't want to harm us, that he does want to prosper. And so really I was thinking, like, what's kind of a conclusion for this? What does it mean? What do we do with Jeremiah 20, 11? Do we have to, 29, 11, do we have to rewrite our plans? Well, I would say it dramatically affects how we build and what our foundation is. And so I want to close with this passage from Paul. I think he wrote a great conclusion to my sermon. He just didn't know it. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, you remember earlier we talked about the foundation, and what foundation is it? Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, If anyone builds on this foundation, on Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, that day of wrath, that day of judgment, will bring it to light. As I read this, and I don't know if I can say this on stage, I just thought of the three little pigs. You guys remember the story? Three little pigs go out to build a house, and they decide to build with different materials. The first pig is a cheapskate, wants to save money, and what does he build with? Straw. And the day comes when the wolf shows up, and what happens to his straw? It's blown away. It doesn't do much good. Second pig says, okay, I'll learn from that. I'm going to build with wood. Some of us in our own lives, we've done this. We've seen how parents have lived and what they've lived for. And so we've kind of adjusted a little bit, not necessarily godly, but we've adjusted in response to our upbringing. And so this pig decides to build with wood. Seems pretty smart. I build with wood a lot. What happens to him? The day comes, pig, the, the wolf huffs and puffs and the house blows Down. I keep looking at Ron. Ron's an architect. He's going to throw out some smart aleck answer here. Um, The final pig, he's going to throw out, well, what about rebar and hold downs and straps and all that? Which, by the way, I was thinking of, when you build a house, how much of the house anchors back to the foundation? All of it. And the way we learn this, they actually have creative names like hurricane ties, because they would find it in hurricanes, and I realize we don't joke about this in this part of the country, um, I didn't know that when we moved here, we're staying in Steve Headland's barn and my kids are, you know, the weather was getting bad and they said, what about tornadoes? And you know, I'm a wise Idahoan. I said, tornadoes don't hit here. You're okay. In this county right here, you're fine. Well, the next day we're over at the neighbor's house and she's like, yes, I got my whole kitchen and roof redone when the tornado tore it off. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like it hit like right next to the barn. So I was wrong. So, but it's interesting when we build houses, everything ties back to the foundation. And so out of the foundation, we have rebar, we have straps that come up that the framing attaches to. When you build a roof, you have hurricane ties that hold the roof to the building because they found in hurricanes, entire roofs intact would lift off the building and blow miles away. And so it's interesting to me, even in the building industry, everything you do ties back and leads back to the foundation. And and so we're examining this idea of what we build with. And then finally... Boy, I jumped around there. Third pig, what does he build with? Stone. I, I don't know. Brick. 
Okay, brick. Who said brick? Who knows their fairy tales better than me? Julian, was that you? Oh, no, that was my British friend. Okay, brick. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So it says, he goes on to say, because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire. Now, fire can be a picture of judgment. It can also be a picture positively of judgment that is testing. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, now we read in Scripture the rewards include crowns. The rewards include uh, ruling and, 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 and uh, responsibilities in the kingdom. They also include this beautiful phrase, Well done, good and faithful servant. If... What we build with is burned up. The builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as, as only as one escaping through the flames. And so because they built on the right foundation, everything they've built, I want you to imagine the terror of it. Everything they've built their life on that foundation is burned up. Paul says they'll be saved, but it's going to be like one escaping the flame. So they're going into heaven and they smell like smoke and their goatees all singed and burned and they're like... Well, at least I got in. And that's a good thing. I'd rather be in than out. But, but again, I want to ask the question, what kind of plans are we building to? What are the specs for what we're building? And, and I consider graduates, I say, you're at that point. You've had a foundation in Jesus Christ. You've had a foundation of education. And what is your plan to build on it? Now, some of us, we kind of groan and go, well kind of built this way and I built that way and I was chasing money and now I'm kind of at that point in life, kind of midlife crisis, wondering if it was worth it and I'm getting tired. Here's the deal. Is it ever too late to adjust how we build? Never. It's called remodeling. Just kind of knock out some walls and say, we're going to start over and we're going to do this wall out of stone, this wall out of brick. As parents, is it ever too late? Parents of seniors in high school, is it ever too late? I got news for you. I believed when I was younger that you raise your kids to 18, they head off, and life is good. Home run. I'm an empty nester. Yeah, I hear the laughter around the room. Those are parents of people out of the nest that have come back to the nest because life happens and because they love their kids. And so it's never too late. You want to talk about a godly legacy? I think it's so beautiful. I think it's so horrible. We tend to take old people and put them in old folks' homes. We need those old people around our grandkids because those are people who raised their own kids, realized in wisdom and and, and, in hindsight what they did, what they could have done. Talk about a godly generation to invest in our kids today. And and so I want to reiterate, it's never too late to adjust the way we build. So I want to close with this. We got a really cool video the seniors have put together. And so I want you to watch this video. And just as you watch it, consider this idea of foundations and plans. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For I know the plans. For I know the plans. For I know the plans I have for you. In the fall, I will be attending the University of Oklahoma and I'll be studying pre-medical imaging and radiography. In the fall, I plan on attending TCC to major in business. Plans I have. Plans I have. The plan. Plans I have. In the fall, I plan on attending the University of Texas Arlington to study business. I plan on attending ACU to study childhood studies and behavioral therapy. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to prosper you. Prosper you. In the fall, I plan on attending the University of North Texas to study medical laboratory sciences. 
I plan on attending TCU to study marketing. This fall, I plan to move to Connecticut and do online school to study social work. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In the fall, I plan on going to Midwestern State University to study psychology. This fall, I plan on attending Texas A&M University and studying finance. In the fall, I plan to attend Tarleton State University and study horticulture. Hope in a future. Hope in a good future. Hope in a future. In the fall, I plan on attending the University of Texas at Arlington to study architecture. In the fall, I plan on attending UTA to study accounting. I plan on going to UTA to study economics. I plan on going to Loyola University Chicago and studying international relations with a focus on Japan. For I know the plans I have to declare the Lord. I'm really grateful because the youth has always given me a safe place to call my home away from home and it's been um, a really good place for me to come and grow in my faith and grow in the community as well. Youth group has given me a great place to fellowship with people my age and learn about God. The youth group has given me so many opportunities to go on mission trips and to pursue the Lord through different countries. It also has provided me a home with all my friends. The youth group has taught me the value of friendship and the importance of serving others in my community. Grace Youth Ministry has been a place where I can both challenge myself in my faith and be challenged by others to grow stronger and love the Lord. I'm honored and thankful to be part of a church family that lays a foundation of Jesus Christ. And I'm honored and, 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 and thankful to be part of a church family that has a plan. Right now, as we sit here, we have children back in Adventureland that are learning to build on the Lord Jesus Christ. They might even be doing that famous song we talked about. We have a youth group that helps point people to Jesus. My prayer is that as our seniors graduate, that if they're in town, they would hook up with Cornerstone, the rowdy section over here on the left. And if not, if they're away somewhere, there's some great outreaches on campus. There's some great church families they can be involved with. After that, there's young adults. And then hopefully, Lord willing, we see this generation in rooms like this, worshiping and growing together. Incredibly thankful. Hey, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, right now is uh, Grace Cafe, and so I, I would just ask you, don't bolt out of the building. Like, head across the parking lot. You can have a great lunch. Uh, maybe you're like, hey, I'm shy. Get over yourself. Uh, maybe you need to go say to someone else who's shy. It's okay. You'll live. Uh, the other thing we got is if you're new, if you've never been here, up here at the welcome area where Josie's standing, she'll wave. We would love to meet you. You know, sometimes you go and you visit a new church, you don't know, like, come over there. They got a t-shirt. They'll actually give you free coupons for lunch. And you're not all new, so don't, like, flood over there for free lunch. If you have questions about ministry here at Grace, back in the Connection Coffee in the back area, the back of the room, we'd love to see you over there. Why don't you guys stand with me and let's pray. Father, I just thank you and praise you right now that you're a God of order. Uh, I can think of times in my life when I didn't know what the plan was, and I was confused, and I was hurt, and I felt lost. And yet you, as a God of order, you've seen these plans since the foundation of the world. Thank you that you're a loving God, and we don't get to mess up your plan, and you guide us, and you lead us, and you lead us to green pastures, and you discipline us, and you shape us when needed. We thank you to that kind of God, and today we cry out to you and ask that we would fully cooperate with your plan, that we would inspect our foundation and our connection to the foundation and make sure that our foundation is fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.